welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. If you've got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 2. Well, in 1844, a man named Alexander Dumas wrote a book called The Count of Monte Cristo. Now, you may be familiar with this author. He's also the author who wrote The Three Musketeers. So we're talking absolute classics here. And I know The Count of Monte Cristo is an absolute classic because I've seen the movie. I've never read the book, but I have seen the movie. But this is one of my favorite movies, especially the adaption that came out in uh, 2002. If you're not familiar with the story. Let me just give you a quick overview of it. Edmund Dantes is a young man up and comer in a sailing business. He has it all. He has the beautiful fiance. He's just been promoted to captain of the ship and his best friend becomes jealous of him. So his best friend devises a plot in order to be able to steal his fiance and take away the glory of his new position. He devises a plot to have Edmund falsely imprisoned for something he did not do. Now as the movie goes, Edmund is in this place where he's falsely imprisoned, he deals with bitterness, and in prison he meets a guy named Priest who trains him to fight, trains him to think, trains him to read, and also trains him, or I'm sorry, also tells him that there is a buried treasure. So when Edmund escapes, he jumps off of a cliff where this prison is, and he has to swim a couple miles to an island, and he escapes prison. When he wakes up on the beach, he begins to run down the beach, and he begins to scream after 15 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. He is finally free, and he lived through his escape. And he only stops celebrating when he looks over, and he realizes he's ran right into the middle of a pirate horde waiting on the beach. He's quickly captured, and the captain comes to him and says, I'm so glad you're here because one of my men was caught stealing and we've actually come to the shore to bury him alive as a punishment. He said, but this man has friends that don't want to see him punished. And so I'm trying to figure out how to show mercy while remain strong. That's where you come in. I'm going to give you a knife and let you fight him to the death. And that way, nobody can say I didn't have mercy, but also you're not going to win. So Edmund Dantes is given this knife, and right as he goes into the fight, the captain says, oh, by the way, this man is the best knife fighter I have ever seen. Picture coming up. But as Edmund fights him, as Edmund fights him uh, for, to the death, he wins. He is about to kill him. He has his knife at his throat. When he looks up and he says to the cabin, why not let him live? Why not show him mercy? Those that have wanted to see a fight have seen it. Those that have wanted to see mercy have seen it. And if you keep us both, we can both be sailors on your ship. And the captain says, sure, why not? That satisfies everything I needed from you. And in that moment, this other man, I can't pronounce his name, so I'm not even going to try. He grabs, in this picture, he grabs Edmund by the collar and he says this. He says, I swear on my dead relatives, even on the ones that are not feeling good, I am your man forever. See, what we see here in this story and many others that would be like it is the response to overwhelming grace is overwhelming allegiance. Our response as Christians to God's overwhelming grace should also be overwhelming allegiance. If you're just joining us, we've been learning about grace for the past couple weeks. We started a series to, or last week called Fish Grace. And Fish Grace is looking at the story of Jonah. And what we found in the story of Jonah is it's not a story necessarily about this man surviving. It's a story about God's grace on a sinner. 
Jonah is called to go to Nineveh to deliver a message to which he says no and goes the exact opposite way. God pursues him, and we saw something interesting about grace. God sends a storm that is about to take over the ship that Jonah is on. And what we learned about that is that is God's love and pursuit of people. That at times, grace can be hard because God loves us enough to bring hardship on us to turn us back to him. Today, what we're going to see in Jonah chapter 2 is we're going to see the response that Jonah had to grace, to God's unmerited favor of him. Now, here's the point that I want us to get to. Uh, Grace is ours. Grace is God's unmerited favor. It means no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how many times you fail God, he still loves you. His love is not based upon who you are. His love is based on who he is. What we want to talk about today in Jonah chapter 2 is we want to talk about how do I step into the effects of grace? The answer is that the overwhelming grace that God gives us should give us overwhelming allegiance to him. So in Jonah chapter 1, Jonah is running. God sends the storm. The sailors ask Jonah, what should we do? And Jonah says, "Um, throw me in the ocean. That's where we're picking up today. If you've got your Bibles, I actually said Jonah chapter 2, but we're going to start in Jonah chapter 1, just a little background. Jonah chapter 1, verse 14. Therefore they, the they here is the sailors that are on the boat with Jonah, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not change us with, charge us with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. That's where we stopped last week. Some of you are still not over the fact that we did not read the very last verse of the chapter 1. So here we go, just for y'all. Uh, verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come back here in just a second. All right, so as we start, please allow me to address the giant fish in the room. There's a question that we might have as adults as we look at this story, especially if we've not spent a lot of time in Scripture. And we have to ask this question, and I think it's a fair question, is the fish real? Now, the reason I say that is because if you, didn't, if you weren't raised in church, if you were not used to hearing this story and you just accepted it as fact from your childhood, and I walked up to you and I was like, hey, I know a guy, he got swallowed by a fish for three days, and this fish spit him out, and then he went about his way, you'd be like, no way. It's an unbelievable story. So before we start into the story, I want to talk and I want to address why we would believe that this story is not a metaphor, that the story is not impossible, but we do believe that the story is literal. On your take-home truths, number one, I want to go over two reasons. Number one, Two reasons why the fish is real, point A, is because the Bible says so. Because the Bible says so. If you spend much time growing in your faith with Jesus Christ, that will become an acceptable answer for you. Why? Bible says so. Now, if you're weak in your faith, if you're new in your faith, you may have some questions about that. I want you to know that's okay. That's what we're here to do is we're here to learn. But let me explain something to you about the Bible. This Bible is scripture inspired by God. It is written by about 40 different people over 1,500 years in three languages, and every bit of it is inspired by God. You could say it was written by God through other men. Now, the reason God writes this Bible to you is it reveals a world that you and I could never imagine. 
It reveals to us truths that we cannot see of ourselves. It reveals to us things like angels and demons that we are told are around us constantly, but we can't see them. It tells us that there is a spiritual realm where what matters is sin and holiness. It tells us a story about a God that we could not even begin to comprehend. Many of the stories here are beyond belief because it's meant to inform us of things that we wouldn't believe or know otherwise. That's why the Bible is written. And that's why at times the Bible is so outrageous. So with this story, if we can't believe the story of Jonah, there's many other things in the Bible we should question. Because here's what I can tell you about the story of Jonah. The story of Jonah takes place in the ocean. Something that scientists will tell you 98% of is still undiscovered. We don't know what's going on out there. We don't know how big all the fish are. Secondly, we do observe some creatures in the ocean that are plenty big enough to swallow a man. So we can see in this some glimpse of things that, that may make it somewhat understandable or probable. Here's what I would argue. The story of Jonah is much more probable than the story of a God who creates the entire universe in six days by talking. The story of Jonah is much more probable than the Red Sea opening up and people going across it on dry land. The story of Jonah is much more probable than one of the major militaristic cities of its time, Jericho, falling to a group of Israelites because they walked around it seven times and shouted. And it's way more probable than the story of God coming here in human form, dying on a cross and bringing himself back to life. If we can't believe the story of Jonah, we have a lot of other things in the Bible we're going to question. And we all come here this morning basically saying, here's what we believe. We believe that the story of Jesus Christ is true. We believe that there's this cosmic switch of our sin to Jesus on the cross. In comparison to that, a big fish is really, really easy to believe. Secondly, secondly, we believe, point B, we believe the fish in Jonah because Jesus says so. The Bible says so, point A, point B, Jesus says so. Listen to this. This is from Matthew 12, 38 through 40. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So here we see Jesus affirms this event. He doesn't talk about it like you've heard the story of Jonah. He speaks of Jonah as a literal man who underwent the literal experience of being swallowed by this great fish. There are no two sources in the universe that we should take um, more seriously than the word of God and the words out of Jesus' mouth. And yet both of these confirm this story to be a literal event that happened. So let's just say that we believe that it happened and we do. Now we have to ask a question, why did it happen? God, why out of all the things that you could do, God, man thrown in the ocean, man swallowed by fish, fish spits man out after three days. God, why that? Well, that's the reason we're calling this series Fish Grace. Because what we see here is Jonah is a man in rebellion against God. He goes out in the ocean and he could drown, but God sends salvation to Jonah to save him from death. That's what grace is. God is protecting Jonah. Yes, the inside of the fish is miserable, but is also a place of protection because without it, Jonah would have certainly drowned. So your second take home truth number two is God's grace mobilizes God's salvation. 
Here's the story. God loves Jonah. Jonah runs from God. The result of, a result of Jonah's sin is he ends up near death. He's just out there treading water, waiting to drown. But God comes to the rescue. Can you see a parallel between Jonah and you? Can we look at Jonah and say, that's, that's really a story about me. My sin, my rebellion against God is leading me to death. Yet God comes to my rescue and provides me salvation from death. Because if you were here and you were saved, you were promised eternal life. And so the story is really about Jonah, or it is about Jonah, but it's really about a God who loves us enough to come rescue us. So from this, there's a few things that I wanted to hit that just I feel like is important for us to understand about the story of Jonah, because it's going to help us understand our salvation from our current sin in the same way Jonah was saved from the consequences of his sin at that time. Still on your take-home truths, I know these are going really quick. Number three, though, point A, salvation is prepared by God. If you look at verse 17, it says the Lord had prepared a great fish. Listen, here's what we need to know about God's salvation. Is salvation is God's. Jonah is floating, waiting until he is too weak to keep himself afloat, and then he's going to die. He did nothing. He didn't call out to God. He didn't do anything to save himself. He didn't even grab a life jacket. And yet God in his goodness and his love says, I will take action. I will come save him. And so when we look at our own, salvation, or our own salvation, here's what we need to know, is that God is the one who said, I will take action, it's not us. Point B, salvation is preemptive, not responsive. This is important. This is important. The way the scripture references this, God had prepared a fish. Did you catch that? God had prepared a fish. It's past tense. That means that God was doing this, he was preparing for this before Jonah had a need. Here's the difference in God did and God had prepared. If you show up to my house unannounced, this is, you can never say I didn't warn you and you knock on my door, I'm going to answer the door with no shirt on. And I'm going to be like, uh, hey, come on in. And I'm going to let me go find some clothes real quick. And then I'm going to be like grabbing blankets and throwing it off the couch. And you're just going to kind of experience the moment. You tell me one day ahead of time you're coming to my house, that house will look like something out of a magazine. You'll walk in, there'll be soft music playing. There'll be candles on all the counters. Oakley's toys will all be put up and organized. And you'll say, your house is so clean. And go, oh, really, it's pretty dirty. It's a lie, by the way. See, the difference is, the difference is, I would have had prepared for you ahead of time. And so what God is doing in salvation, in the salvation of Jonah, and our salvation, is he doesn't throw him a life preserver. God had been waiting for this moment. Think of this. Giant fishes, giant fish, fish, fishies, fish, giant fishies don't just appear. Maybe they do in God's world. But God very likely had been preparing this fish, not for days, not for weeks, not for months, for years or decades. God was preparing for this moment. He created this fish, he prepared it to the correct size, and then he put it in the correct place before Jonah got there. God didn't send a fish to Jonah. God had a fish waiting for where Jonah would be in the ocean. And so when we look at, at God and we look at this salvation, realize what this means. God is aware of our sin ahead of time, and God is prepared for our sin ahead of time. That is grace. Grace is not, I messed up, and now God has to figure out how to forgive me. Grace is the fact that God knew what I was going to do before I did it, and he was prepared to take care of me before I did it. 
That's what grace is. It's preemptive. And what that means, what that means for you and me, is that God was prepared for our salvation ahead of time. Which gives us another point, point C, is salvation is not reliant on your worthiness. Point C on our take home truth, salvation is not reliant on your worthiness. So, so stick with me here. See, see if this makes sense. If God prepares out of his grace our salvation ahead of time, and he knows ahead of time, before he gives us salvation, what our sins will be, and yet he gives us salvation anyway, our present sins cannot change his salvation. Does that make sense? God knows what we're going to do. He gives us salvation knowing what we're going to do. For that reason, our present sins don't change our salvation or, or his love for us. To put it simple, his grace cannot run out on us because we cannot surprise him. 2,000 years ago, his grace was given to us knowing who we would be, what we would do, and when we would do it. Our salvation was prepared and it was offered to us. And never since that, never has there been a moment where God's distracted watching TV and he looks down at you and goes, Whoa! Ah, no, you can't. I didn't, I didn't know you were going to do that. I take it back. I thought I loved you, but I could never love somebody that could do that. Never has there been a moment like that with God. It's not possible because God gives us that salvation knowing that we're going to walk into it and take advantage of it. Knowing, knowing that we're going to break it, knowing that we're going to betray it. So here, here's what I want us to grasp from this. I want you to be aware. Be aware. Sin is very, very serious. Sin brings consequences into your life. If you don't take care of salvation before you die, sin brings consequences into your eternal being life. We need to say that. And we need to live that. But also understand... Also understand that grace is very, very serious. And it is bigger than the shame, and it is bigger than the brokenness of our sin. And it is when we put those two things together, do we really understand God. Because here's what we tend to do. We tend to kind of lean heavy on one or the other. We tend to get kind of really holy with ourselves and really pious. We were talking about this in Bridge Cruise this morning, really pious about who we are and how good we are and how we avoid sin. And we don't really, really rely on grace a lot or we don't celebrate grace a lot. That's not the gospel. On the other hand, we can also get really lax and be like, yeah, I'll do whatever I want. God's grace is covered. That's, that's also not the gospel. The gospel is this, is that your sin is very serious, but grace is more serious. And when you put those things together, what it creates for us, it creates for us a reaction that God wants for us. Remember what I said earlier, our response to overwhelming grace should be overwhelming allegiance. And so when we put sin and grace together, our reaction should be what we call repentance. Repentance. We love the word grace. We should use grace a lot. We should have grace with ourselves. We should have grace with others. But we should use the word repentance just as much because our response to grace should be repentance of our sins, to turn away from them. Look, look at what Jonah says here. Three days and three nights, Jonah's in the belly of the well. Verse 1, then Jonah prayed. We now see why God put him through the storm. We see why God did this. Because after all of the sin and rejection, the storm being followed or, or being swallowed by the fish, Jonah finally repents. 
He, he calls on God's grace and he walks into the effects of God's grace. Listen to what happens. Chapter 2 is basically a prayer from Jonah. Listen to the very end of chapter 2, verse 10. Listen to what happens. It says, So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah on dry land. After Jonah goes through all of the storms, after Jonah has all of the problems, Jonah is finally brought to repentance, and what does he experience? He experiences deliverance. So let's spend the rest of today talking about what repentance is and what repentance is not. If you were with us last week, we, we saw from the story of Jonah that repentance is not simply feeling bad about what you did. And let me tell you where I come up with that, just so we're not confused. Jonah is in this boat. There's a huge storm. The crew is freaking out. They go to Jonah and say, do you have any clue what's going on? And Jonah said, this storm is because of me, because I disobeyed God. And they said, okay, well, how are we going to fix this? And Jonah said, throw me in the water and let me die. He could have, he should have said, turn this boat around, take me back to Joppa so I can go where God called me to. But he didn't. He was stubborn. And I just want to know, is there anybody else convicted by that? That repentance is not just acknowledging I'm wrong. Repentance is changing my actions. Because I know what I love to do and what many Christians love to do is we're like, ah, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. And then we do it again. And we do it again. And we do it again. And with our mouth, we claim repentance. But with our actions, our actions say, no, I'm not sorry at all. And that's what we saw out of Jonah last week. And we see that because of that, because of Jonah's heart, the consequences of his sin, because he would not turn away from his sin, keep God, get, are kept getting worse. Chapter 2 gives us a really good picture of what repentance looks like in Jonah's prayer. So if you've still got your Bibles with you, read with me. We're going to read the rest of chapter 2. Jonah is in the fish. Jonah prays. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, you and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and all your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The water surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Verse 10. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah on dry land. So what can we learn about repentance from Jonah as he now has this, this change of heart? He's ran from God. He's rejected God. And now we see suddenly his heart breaks and he's willing to do it God's way. Your, your next take-home truth, number 4A. Repentance is crying out to God crying out to God. That comes from verses 2 to 3. Listen to what Jonah says. He says, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Now see, it would be easy in the belly of the fish to say, God's done with me. I brought this on myself. God is done with me. There's nothing I can do to fix it. 
But what does Jonah do? In the midst of his problem, he cries out to God. This is our response to grace. Listen, sometimes we get it wrong about grace. Here's what we sometimes think. I sometimes think I've got to get me fixed before I can walk into grace. I've got to make myself good enough before I can approach God and say, look, I cleaned it up. That's not the gospel. That's not repentance. And let me be truthful with you. You don't have the capability to fix yourself. You are that messed up. You cannot fix it. See, we hurl ourselves into grace the same way a child hurls themselves into their parents' arms at the swimming pool. You guys have seen it. Little kid, not big enough to be jumping off the side of the pool, cannot wait to jump off the side of the pool. And so parent gets down below them and holds out their arms and says, come to me. And what does that kid do every time? Full abandon. Just, let's go. That's how we hurl ourselves into God's grace. So those kids don't say, no, daddy. No, daddy, I can't swim. Those kids say, I trust your arms to catch me. And the first aspect of repentance is simply crying out to God. God, I, I trust your arms to catch me. I trust myself, or I trust you as I fall into grace to catch me. See, our only hope is that there's someone who is bigger than our sin, that loves me when I'm broken, that is bigger than my broken, who can rescue me. And this is how we respond to grace. We say, I am unlovable, but I bask in your love. And if you're like me, it's like, that doesn't make sense. How can I be unlovable and bask in somebody else's love? That doesn't make sense. That's the point. The Bible doesn't make sense. The Bible doesn't tell us things that make sense to us in our dumb human minds. The Bible tells us things that we couldn't understand without God literally writing it down and saying, here, I need you to know this about me. And what the Bible tells us is that no matter what, we serve a God who can love us. I heard it put this way one time, and I I really like this. It says, God gave us the Bible because the only God we could come up with for ourselves is one who looked like us. And God gave us the Bible so we could see how God really looks, to see the things we would never attribute to God, including his grace and his mercy and his absolute love. And the second part of this is when Jonah cried out to God, he says, and he and God answered me. Here's what we often neglect is God's grace is available to us. God is not too busy for us, no matter how dirty, no matter how bad we've been. God is not separated for us. God is with us. My daughter, Oakley, uh, loves sunglasses. If you get here early enough on Sunday morning, sometimes you'll see her coming in. She'll have her dress on. She'll have her backpack, and she'll have those sunglasses on. She's just getting it, just really proud of herself. She loves those sunglasses. But because she is three and all of her sunglasses are cheap, that is a recipe for breaking. Because of that, her sunglasses break often. And you know what I love? Is she'll come to me and she'll say, Daddy, can you fix these glasses? See, what is impossible for her is easy for me. And I delight in my little girl coming to me and letting me fix her problems. Because I love her that much. I delight in that. I delight in the fact that sometimes my wife will say, here, sweetie, I'll fix them. And she'll yank them away and say, no, only my daddy can fix this. That's how God feels about you. He delights in us bringing our brokenness to him. He delights, he delights in us trusting him with things that are too big for us because what is impossible for us is easy to him. And he loves us and he loves when we come to him. 
The second thing that we see about repentance, point B, is that repentance is returning to the presence of God. That comes from verses 4 and 5. Let's take home truth, point B. Jonah says this, he says, Yet I will look again to your holy temple. Okay, now to understand this, we need to back up to last week. If you were here last week, this will sound familiar. If not, let me inform you. So last week, when Jonah gets on this boat, he's running from Nineveh, and we tend to teach that, like he is trying to get away from where God called him to be. But three times in chapter 1, it says that Jonah... That was dramatic, sorry. Okay, Jonah, three times in chapter 1 it says, Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. So what we see of Jonah's sin is Jonah is not just simply not going where God calls him to. Jonah is literally running from God, which is what our sin makes us do. I don't want to be around God when I'm sinning. And yet Jonah says here in this moment of repentance, he says, I will look towards your holy temple. Now here's what you need to understand about the temple of the Old Testament. The temple of the Old Testament was not just a fancy building where people got together and listened to somebody talk. The temple of the Old Testament had many functions, one of which was in the middle of it was a place called the Holy of Holies. It was the literal dwelling place of God among his people. A place where he could go separated by walls and curtains, but he could be in the presence of his people. And so for centuries, Jews have prayed, always in mind, knowing Jerusalem and the temple is in that general direction, and they would pray towards that direction because that's where God was. And so here's what we see from Jonah, and Jonah begins this story running from the presence of God. But in repentance, he turns and he looks towards the presence of God. And so when we come to our sins and we repent, what we are doing is we are running back to God. If sin causes us to run from God, repentance, repentance causes us to run back to God. Notice what we're finding here is repentance isn't just actions, it's connection. Because God is not interested. If you read extra notes, I want you to write this. God is not interested in behavior modification. God is interested in master identification. God is not interested in your behavior modification. He's interested in being identified as your master. What repentance is, is when we come to God and say, you know what, you are a good enough God that I believe that you can be king over my life. That's what repentance is. And when we come to God for the first time in salvation, what we're saying is, God, I trust you as king. I want you to be the king of my life. We're not saying, hey, give me a quick ticket to heaven. We're saying, you are the king. And when as followers of Christ we have those, those sins that God is constantly sanding off of us, those things that we constantly do wrong, God is always working on us. And what we do in repentance is we bring that little sin to Him and go, okay God, I've kept this one for myself, but you are good. And God, I want you to be king over this. I want you to be the master over this part of my life. And let's not lie to each other. We all have that little sin or basket of sins that we hold back from God. Like, God, you can be king of my Sunday morning, but you can't be king of my Saturday night. God, you can be king of my job, but you can't be king of my money. God, you can be king of my time, but you can't be king of my relationships. And in repentance, we come back to God and say, I believe you are good enough to be king. So God, I'm going to do this the way that you call me to do it. The next thing that we see from Jonah, verses 6 and 7, point C on your take-home truths, is repentance is seeking and finding restoration in God. Seeking and finding restoration in God. Jonah says this, When my soul fainted, I remembered the Lord. 
Now, the soul fainted is a scriptural way of saying, when I was weak within me. When I was weak within me. Jonah says, when I experienced this weakness and I knew I had messed up, I found strength in God. What do we do when we feel weak? We seek something stronger than us. We seek a power greater than us to accomplish them what we can't. When I was uh, fresh out of high school, I had a couple summers where I worked a, a construction job, and I, I put up metal buildings like this one, actually a lot bitter, bigger than this one. And um, um, I learned a lot of things. Well, we were working on a school, which is what I now believe is Cabbage Junior High School. And uh, some of the guys came down and they said, hey, that beam up there is going to have to be moved. It's like 10 foot tall. It was sitting on top of a, a cinder brick wall and it went all the way across the length of a classroom. And they said, the beam is going to have to be moved. We can't move it. We're going to have to do something. And me, being dumb and prideful, said, I'll move it. All 140 pounds of me. And so I went crawling up on the wall, walked over to that beam, and I went over there is, a, is about, I don't know, 30 feet long, foot and a half, two foot tall, and I grabbed hold of that beam, and you guys aren't going to believe it. it. It didn't move. Yeah, I know, you're really shocked at that, right? And I was doing everything I could, and I was like, you know what, if I can't move it this way, it only needed to go like eight inches over. And so every iron worker carries what we called at the time a beater, which is just a sledgehammer, a little sledgehammer. So the sledgehammer, I was beating this thing, and I was trying to move it, and I realized I couldn't move it. I did the math on that. That beam probably weighed around 3,000 pounds. <laughs> but I couldn't move it. So what did we do? I crawled off the wall and I said, I need something stronger than me. And we went and got the forklift. And with nothing but the flick of a wrist, with that stronger power, we moved the unmovable. What Jonah is saying here is, I need a strength greater than myself for this moment. And when he found that weakness in him, he reached for a greater strength. He remembered the power of the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Does your soul ever feel faint? You guys know you're trying so hard to be good. You're trying everything you can not to fall back into that sin, not to lose your temper, not to go back to the drink, not to, not to treat somebody wrong again. You're trying everything you can to let go of bitterness and you just can't do it. You keep experiencing the consequences of your sin, but you just can't quit. Listen, I want you to know, I want you to know that strength is found by putting your eyes on Him. Strength is found by putting your eyes on Him and basking in His love. If we can put our eyes on Him, He will restore our soul. That's the answer, is, is to, put, to put our focus on Him and not our problems. Uh, the last thing that we see here, verses 8, and eight through 10, as we get close to wrapping up, is uh, repentance is celebration and deliverance. We see here, Jonah says, but I will sacrifice to you with thanksgiving. See, when something good happens, when something good happens, we celebrate. That's why we have all of these holidays. We're like, okay, Jesus was born. Let's have a day. Let's have a party every single year to remember Jesus was born. Uh, Jesus was resurrected. Let's have a day. Let's have a party every single year to remember that Jesus was resurrected. That's why we celebrate graduations with that kid we just didn't think was going to make it. Oh, but they did. And they've got the diploma. What do we do? We have a graduation. Let's have a party. We're celebrating. We celebrate good things. We celebrate things like bye weeks because for the first time in like eight weeks, the hogs didn't lose yesterday, okay? We celebrate the good things in life. You guys, I don't care if you're tired of the Razorback jokes. I got to bring one out every week. 
We celebrate good things in life. And if that's true, if we can celebrate things like Thanksgiving and football games and graduations, why, why wouldn't we celebrate the grace of God with happiness and joy? Guys, can I say something? I shouldn't say this. This is in my notes. I'm going to say it anyway. I'll repent later. Guys, it breaks my heart when we sit here. Oh, how I love Jesus. No, 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 no. That's my Savior. He died for me. Oh, how I love Jesus. He is great. He is wonderful. I want to celebrate him. And there's something wrong with the heart of believers when we cannot celebrate our Savior and the deliverance that he has given us in our salvation. We are supposed to celebrate the good things in life, and there is nothing greater than being known by a good God. And here's what we see. Jonah has experienced God's grace. He's experienced God's salvation. I think he realized, I'm still alive because God still has a plan for me. And in that moment, in that moment, he has a moment of thankfulness where he says, this wasn't me. This was a good, good God. He sought me. He loved me in sin, and I don't deserve it. And at that moment, when Jonah prayed this prayer, when he said within himself, when he repented and he looked to God, notice the chronology of the scripture, that's when he was delivered. That's when things changed. And some of us may need to hear this in here. Something in your life is not going right and you're having a really hard time and you don't know why. And it may be that God's not going to deliver you until you repent of whatever sin he's, well, I don't have to tell you, it's the one that just popped into your mind. It may be that God is waiting for us to turn to him. So here's what I want you guys to know today from this scripture. God's grace is yours. Salvation is yours. But along with that, he is calling us to walk into his grace in repentance, to turn away from our sin. If our musicians want to start, come up here. There's two ways this may apply to you this morning. You may be here, and for the first time, you need to turn to God. You need to realize that there, there is nothing you can do to save yourself, but there is a God who can do what you cannot do, and he is longing for you to come to him. He wants you more than anything in the world. He has made it so simple. He has prepared a way for you to walk into salvation, and all he asks of you is that you reach out and you accept it. That you place your faith in him and say, yeah, you're a good God. You can be king. And if you're like me and you're a Christian, but you're still broken and God's still working on you. I remember that song the kids used to sing. He's still working on me. It's my story. Listen, this morning, I cannot believe that God would lead us into this message series, that he would pour his word out in this way. And that there's not many of us in here that have that little basket full of sin and God's just saying, hey, let me be king of that. Do it my way, not your way. This morning, as I ask you every Sunday, don't leave here the same way that you walked in. You can pray where you're at. Sometimes, I'll be honest, for me, sometimes the, the physical movement of going to my knees is something that just helps my heart break for God as I pray to him. So you guys can come pray up here. I will pray with you. If you need salvation, I would love to lead you into that. But don't leave here today unrepentant for whatever God is calling you to. Let's stand and worship. Thank you for joining us this week at Ramsey Heights. We hope you enjoyed this week's message, and if you did, feel free to share it with others. If we can help you begin to follow Jesus or grow in your relationship with Him, join us on Sundays or connect with us on social media or our website, ramseyheightsfamily.online.